is episode two with the OG himself, Rob Redman. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us today. We're chatting to none other than Rob Redman, a talented artist, designer, animator, and photographer hailing from Warminster, England. So without any further ado, here is Rob. First of all, Rob, thank you so much for for joining us today. Um, you know, our, our schedules have been a little bit crazy and everything. And you're one of those people that I've known for ages without knowing very personally. I think that we've had a lot of encounters over Twitter and social media and things like that. And you've also been, I think the best way to describe it is a bit of a fatherly role in terms of advice and tutorials and things like that, especially when it comes to cinema 4d for a lot of us. And, um, yeah, it's just a real pleasure to have you on the show, man. That's very kind of you. No, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Awesome, man. Rob, for the four people that are listening that don't know who you are, can you just like give us a little bit of context, um, of who you are, what you do, um, some about Pariah studios, and then we can get into some more deeper questions. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the creative director at Prior Studios, as you said, um, and uh, here we do motion graphics, film work, visual effects, um, 3D animation is kind of the biggest part of it. Uh, but my background's from photography, so I like to shoot my own plates and work on video projects as well. Okay. That's kind of a, a general overview of what we do. Uh, when I say we, it's the majority of the work is uh, me, but there are a couple of other guys that come in on a reasonably regular basis as well. Is Prior Studios, did it evolve from a freelance gig into more something a little bit more professional? Kind of. Um, so I started, uh, as I said, I started as a photographer and that turned into doing a lot of image editing work. Yeah. Uh, and this is, you know, back the tail end of the 90s. And uh, image editing was great fun. I really enjoyed doing it. Um, so there was a lot of Photoshop. And then people started to ask for more and more ambitious edits for their mm. imagery. And mm. that kind of led me to explore 3D. Uh, and from there, that kind of just became a, a love affair. And ever since, I, I've just loved 3D. Uh, but I, I like a bit of variety in my work. So I've always kind of dabbled in the, 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 the rest of it as well. Um, so from there... I kind of taught myself animation as well as the, the, the still side of it. Yeah. And that grew and grew and grew uh, into to what you see today. You just get to a, a point where your your image editing and stuff just needs that extra element. And yes. then After Effects, for instance, is available. And it's like Photoshop for video so that you, you progress into that. And then your motion graphics starts to feel a bit flat as well. And then you think oh that 3d stuff's available let me like kind of get into that as well and it's this constant thing of like learning pushing yourself a little bit more so i totally get that and uh it's it just seems to be a way that a lot of 3d artists are coming to the the, the foreground nowadays and that they're always starting in a graphic design element and just progressing progressing as opposed to just jumping straight into something that was traditionally a very specialized field well, I, you say that, but actually, I think it, it works the other way as well. And I think yeah. this is partly due to kind of trends and fashion of, of design at the time. But I've, I've seen true. in the last few years, a lot of people who were 3D artists doing kind of very realistic work and effects heavy work, kind of dumbing down is the wrong phrase because that's it's, it's about the end result. But yeah. doing simpler, flatter looking mm. vector based work. That's true. Uh, much more kind of tune-like uh, and very stylized, mm. uh, and that in turn 
uh, could lead them to doing things you know in 2d and after effects or fusion or whatever it might be um, or photoshop when previously they've been into sculpting and texturing and yeah. things like that so i think it can work both ways yeah and like you it's, said it's earlier yeah, like you said earlier Sorry. as well it's very much trends related as well so you know 3d for instance gets to a point where it's so photorealistic that everyone's doing it and then you know if you want to stand out from the crowd you kind of need to just pull your your reins back a little bit and say well you know i'm not going to be doing the very photorealistic stuff let's go for something slightly more stylized slightly more abstract and then you're going down like another pathway so i get that 100 percent. you've been in the public eye for a while now you know i think back to a time where there were far um, fewer online resources and um you had to obviously buy computer magazines or whatever for the advanced tutorials and names like Harry Frank from Grey Machine at the time and Aaron Rabinowitz from Orbits are off. And I think they're both at um, Red Giant now. Yes. Um, and Creative Cow was a massive resource. You know, those come to mind. And obviously you were in that, in that same pool of things. What was it that made you start writing tutorials, sharing knowledge? Uh, I think it probably harked back to many, many years ago. A, when I was learning myself, um, I'd say I've, I left uh, training, I left school because um, I was offered a job um, and I went to go and work for uh, at the studio for Games Workshop, the company that makes Warhammer, that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, and I was doing a, a variety of jobs there um, and that kind of spread onto me going freelance quite quickly. But um, at the time, there was nothing. Like you say, you had to either buy a magazine. Uh, there was no YouTube videos. There was no way of really learning. Generally, you'd be quite alone in your environment and there wouldn't be other people to just go and have a chat with about it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, excuse me, there's some noise in the background. No, no, here. that's cool. <laughs> um, so I then moved on and did some other kind of magazine work um i was an editor at 3d world magazine yep it was around the same time uh, maybe a little bit before that i was i realized that actually there was this whole way of being able to kind of share what you're doing and learn along with other people um and i just kind of decided well let's give it a try so i started recording a few videos just in in my home studio and put them out there and they gained a bit of traction and more importantly, they, they opened doors in both directions. Mm. So they allowed me to answer questions that I was getting by email quite a lot and do it in a more public way yeah. so that everybody could benefit from the answers. Uh, and it made me push myself. So people would say, oh, how do you do this? And then it made me think about the, the best solution to that problem. Uh, so it made me grow as an artist. And I think that's what really drives doing the tutorials. Uh, so it's a combination of growing myself giving a little bit back because I've had tremendous support from the community. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it does open business doors as well. I've, I've had new clients that have come from seeing my videos and yeah, it's a, it's about the, the kind of holistic view. Yeah. I think, you know, definitely being an, an early adapter in, in terms of, you know, providing content like that gives you massive leverage as you, as you said earlier. Um, but it also just, puts you immediately in the in the expert seat uh, because you are the, the only one or one of the only ones at the time giving out that information. Everyone's looking to you for those answers, you know what I mean? And it, it just, it really, really helps you elevate not only your price point, but everything around 
the work itself, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I don't think it lets you push your price point. You've still got to be comparable to other people providing similar things. Okay. Um, but it does help you get your name out there. So you may not get more per job, but you'll get more jobs. You're getting more jobs, right. And you've been going at this a long time now, um, just in doing some research and things. I think you've been going, well, you've been in the industry for about 18 years. Besides the need for survival, if I can call it that, what's what's keeping you going in this industry? Um, I just love it. It's as simple as that. It's um, whether I'm working in video, whether I'm working in fusion, whether it's cinema 4D in Maya, whether it yeah. doesn't really matter. It's all about kind of just creating pretty visuals. And that's what I enjoy. Um, there's there's that part, which is the majority. Um, I also like a lot of variety in my work. And I think if you work in graphics of any kind, you may be doing graphics every day, but the projects are all different and they are wildly different. Uh, yeah. You could be doing something corporate one day. And then, as you know, I, I, I work on products of my own, which lets me kind of concentrate on other areas. Mm. Uh, it's it's nice to get up in the morning and go, oh, look, I'm doing something completely different today as to what I did yesterday. Um, so it all falls under the same umbrella. But, you know, it's um, it, it gives that added interest. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've just spoken about that you, you're doing a lot of things. I, I see that as being very much you having an entrepreneurial spirit, um, doing a lot of different avenues. Um, you know, you have companies, you're a three artist, writer, teacher, photographer, list goes on. Um, is that entrepreneurial spirit something that you think has been always ingrained in you? Like, were you one of the, like a lemonade stand kind of kid? Um, only inwardly, I think. So I've always liked exploring ideas within a theme so yeah. it's always been kind of visual or world creating i've always liked that um so you know as a young kid i would be out out in the woods or whatever with a sketchbook and i'd be drawing animals or you know kind of recording foxes footprints all that kind of stuff yes. um, i was lucky i lived in the countryside and i could go out safely and do that at quite a young age um so i think that's always been a part of me um from a, a business point of view I, I don't really think about that as much. I think about what I want to build, what I want to create. Okay. Um, my, my hobby is um, building guitars. So oh, awesome. I like, to, yeah, when I get away from the screen, then what I'm usually doing is chiseling a bit of wood or, you know, working on the, the, the next design there. So it's still design related, but it's, um, it's nice it's to go and do something. It's a creative physical. outlet, really. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's nice, yeah, to kind of actually touch and feel something rather than just be looking at a monitor. Are these just um, normal classic acoustic guitars or, or what type no, of electric. guitars are you building? Electric? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I, um, I, just a couple of years ago, I just read some books and learned a bit about circuitry and electronics and built my first uh, valve amp as well. So that's uh, something that's quite interesting to me. Uh, but uh, again, I combine my 3D stuff with all of that as well. So the, the circuit I actually designed in 3D, and uh, so I drew all the plans in Illustrator, and oh, wow. I, I tend to combine the combine the two. Uh, I even 3D printed some of the parts. So you're just coming full circle at the end of the day. Yeah, I can't help it. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, all of these things that you obviously do create several revenue streams, um, which is obviously you know what I think a lot of people want to to strive for. It, yeah. it opens up like all these questions in my mind because, you know, I don't know what the, the atmosphere is like in the UK at the moment, but I think globally the the creative and 
design fields are gen- generally ones that you know have a lot of cons as opposed to pros uh, you know i think it takes a very certain type of person to be a creative and to often sit the long hours at night by yourself you know just getting through things and just making sure things happen um you look at things like i think it was rhythm and hues uh closing down after the life of pi and you know it's those yeah. kind of things that just all come up um and i always always have this this reoccurring thought that if i have a child one day and he or she says to me that they want to become a creative, that I'm going to smack their ass and just, you know, tell them that, you know, you better become a chartered accountant or something like that so that you can um, easily or more easily support your family and stuff. Um, in terms of all of these revenue streams, is this something that's, in your opinion, that people in our industry need to do? Or is it more a matter of, you know, you're, you're just doing it at the moment to actually just create? I don't, I don't think there is one single answer to that. Uh, first, first of all, just when you talk about having a kid and your attitude towards them and what they would want to do. Yeah. Uh, I've got a three-year-old daughter and I really don't care what it is that she does for a job as okay. long as she's enjoying it. That's yeah. the most important thing. Um, that's definitely it, one of the pros though of becoming creative and that you know you yeah. can do what you want and how you want it and I, I, yeah and that was what I was going to say really it's it, you've got to have passion for it mm-hmm. you can go you can work in an office or a factory for 40 years but what's the point in living like that I, I just don't get it yeah um, I, I would rather be a bit poorer and do something I absolutely love um, but you know it maybe it's, it suits some people for, but for me I couldn't do it um when it comes to the revenue streams, uh, I think you can be creative and you can work for an employer. You don't have to be freelance to yeah. be creative. Uh, and there are many benefits to doing that as well. So if you work for a bigger studio mm. um, or even a corporation in a, in a marketing department, uh, there are still creative roles available. Um, and you do get the benefit of knowing your income and being able to plan for the future uh, in a, a much more uh, reliable way. Uh, which is to some people a massive massive benefit yeah Uh, and you also have the support of all the people around you Uh, you know that you're going to go to work and you can chat about things and that means that you can bounce ideas off people much more easily Uh, so for me here sitting in my studio um, I I happen to work my 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 studio is in a a building with 20 other creative studios and there are painters stained glass artists there's a luthier upstairs Uh, there are graphic designers web designers all sorts and it's really good because you know you'll bump into someone in the corridors and mm. you'll just have a chat or, or whatever it might be yeah um, which is good but that that's important and it can open up ideas that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise and using other people's create creativity or just a, a fresh perspective uh, is really important um, and the revenue streams don't come without that yeah um so John Dickinson from Motionworks, a friend of mine who I've worked with for many years now on the Making It Look Great videos, uh, right. the training courses. Um, we talk about things and we bounce ideas off each other. And I don't think those Making It Look Great, as much as they're, they're brilliant products that I'm really proud of, I don't think they would have been as good if I'd done them on my own because John looks with a fresh eye and says, oh, you know what? Yeah. It, you, yeah, you tighten this bit up or how about this idea? And I just wouldn't have thought of it. And just just to like further what you've just said now, just about, I think your attitude is 
the, the, the biggest difference in whatever career you are. And there's another person that I sometimes listen to, uh, Todd Henry, who um, has the Accidental Creative podcast. Yeah. And his one um, theme or something that he that he constantly pushes is that a creative is, is anyone, anyone that is hired to solve a problem, whether it be a business analyst or whether it be a designer or whatever the case may be. Um, and I just I just love what you said earlier about, you know, it doesn't matter what you what you're doing, just be happy at it. And I think that if you're happy, then then you've won. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you've got the yacht. But if you've got the time to spend with your family and do what you love, that's that's amazing, man. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, and when it comes to that, I think as a freelancer or a very small studio, uh, you can uh, you, there are two things. You can firstly ignore all the politics involved, uh, which do affect companies like Rhythm and Hughes. That that was a political issue. That was, there was there's nothing else about it. It was pure political. Um, but also, you can create your we're talking about revenue streams again but you can create your own to an extent so yeah. i have the the model packs the training courses um the the, the material packs which are, are, are a big thing and i think that comes from um my photographic background so i've always been quite good at lighting and materials yeah uh, anyway so they they let you have that freedom to say you know what I'm not going to go into the studio today unless you've got a client who needs something, but you've already agreed to that up front. Um, you can go, I'm, I'm going to stay in bed for an extra hour or I'm going to take my bike and ride through the woods for the day. Uh, or I'm just going to, you know, you can, you can do all those things that you might not be able to if you worked at another person's company. It's very true. And having passive income is the best way of supporting yourself live the life you want to live. So you can put a, a, a month's worth of effort uh, between client work into creating a, a, a good pack of like, decent materials that people are going to really enjoy and find useful. Mm. Um, that helps you in turn uh, do the things that you want to do. 100%. And that, yeah, and that's that's why I do all those things. Uh, it helps me live the way I want to live and it ha- helps me um, stay kind of fit and healthy and enjoying my work, keeping a bit of variety. And it also means that if there's a corporate client that comes to me and wants something that I just don't feel it just, and I, and I don't have an idea or they can't agree to yeah. what I think is a good idea. I can leave that one if I don't want it. Couldn't agree more, man. Um, Price studios and the name Rob Redman have, especially for me, been uh, synonymous with cinema for D for as long as I can think of. Um, but <laughs> what I've, realize over the years is you know you've always been driven to to learn new techniques and there's a lot of software applications and and techniques and um disciplines i think is the right word that obviously you're really good at what are you enjoying at the moment what are you enjoying most okay so it's it's this comes around really regularly uh, about cinema 4d and my relationship with it yeah and people always think, oh, well, Rob's a, a Cinema 4D guy. And I guess I kind of am because when I'm doing my own personal work and when I'm doing a lot of stuff in-house, that's what I will choose to use yeah. amongst others. But I actually started out in my 3D kind of career as uh, a Lightwave user. That's right. Uh, I, I still love Lightwave now. It's a great modeler. Uh, it's got its faults and it's been through some weird transitions as a piece of software, but it's still cool. Yep. Uh, and then you've got the split offs from it. So Modo is basically a spawn of Lightwave. Oh, and 
and um, Modo's got its uses. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say probably the biggest tool for anyone to to learn if this is going to turn into advice would be Maya. Um, you 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 can open so many more doors if you know how to use Maya. Um, but people get fixated on what software you use. I, you know, I use Max, Maya, Lightwave, Modo, Cinema 4D, Houdini. Doesn't really matter. Real Flow. They're all just tools. ZBrush. Um, ZBrush is the the one off. I think where if you're into 3D sculpting, that's the one tool which you really need to know. Um, okay. So all the other apps are trying to do it. They're all trying to add sculpting tool sets to their their, their own application, and none of them quite do it as well. Um, so I'd say if you're interested in that, then learn ZBrush. It's worth it. And with the, the the link to all the other apps, you can fit it into your pipeline. But other than that, it's just a tool. It's like which hammer do you choose? Yeah. Which, which, which make of chisels are you going to use to carve that body of a guitar? Just using my other kind of interest as an example. Because it doesn't matter if you're in Maya or Cinema 4D. An extrude is an extrude, and a bevel is a bevel. It, it really doesn't matter. The only difference is the button you press to get to that tool. Yeah. Um, and again, they're all hugely complex pieces of gear, mm. and really, you, they don't need to be. You can create pretty much any object in 3D with maybe three or four tools, um, just starting from a cube. Uh, it, all the other stuff is just there to make you more efficient. Uh, but if you spend too long worrying about those tools and which ones you're going to use, you lose that efficiency anyway. So just pick one and use it. The yeah. only reason I tend to know all of them um, and stay up to date with all of them is partly because a, a big part of my work is writing for, you know, 3D Total, 3D Artist, 3D World, all That's those right. Um, so I need to be aware and kind of on top of that. But also, if I'm hired to go to Studio A, they might use my, if I'm going to Studio C the next week, then they might be a Cinema 4D house. Um, so it does give you the ability to work in-house at other places. Sure. Um, but for my own work, Cinema 4D, just because it's a, a easy, friendly place to live, uh, the interface is really easy on the eye. Uh, and if you're sitting there for 8 to 12 hours looking at something you want it to be you know kind of kind to your head yeah so true um when learning applications um you know anything new um for for you and your personal experience is it more a need of wanting to integrate that into your actual work or is it just applications that caught your eye at that time uh, it can be a little bit of both. Sometimes it will be a, a necessity because yeah. there's a job I want to do or a company I want to work with and they might use a specific tool. So I'll, I'll learn it that way. Uh, other times it might be I've seen a video or somebody's piece of work and I go, wow, how did they do that? And there might be a very efficient way of doing it or it might be a new piece of software. Um, and then I go, oh, I have to learn it and I'll cram <laughs> it. Um, I'm a bit of a sponge, but I'm a bit of an obsessive sponge. No, it's um, such I, a good I, thing to be, though. Yeah, uh, I'm, it, it can be detrimental. So if I, if I lock on for something and I kind of go, I need to learn how to do this, then everything else kind of disappears to the periphery for a little while and I'm completely focused on that one task. Um, and then, you know, once I've learned it, it's there. And, you know, as long as I return to it now and then, uh, then it, it, that knowledge doesn't disappear. But it does mean that kind of other stuff gets pushed aside slightly while yeah. I satisfy that urge. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, 
like you said, that knowledge never disappears though. So it might come around in the next couple of months or something, but you know, a job might come about and you need a specific technique or skill set and then your mind just automatically flashes back to this one point where, oh, remember that little thing that I either saw or, or tweaked on or something like that. So it's it's never lost. It's never lost. No, no, I agree. Yeah, it's a, a useful skill to have. I say skill. It's not, it, there's no skill involved. It's just genetics, I think. I'm just built that way. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm rubbish at maths, uh, <laughs> but, but I can remember, you know, tools that I learned years and years and years ago. For myself, personally, it's a problem-solving mindset in that often what will happen is, and even with feedback from the community and stuff like that, you know, you, you spoke about doing tutorials and getting questions from community members saying, you know, how would I do that? If, if the right question is posed, I could waste a whole evening or two just literally sitting, tweaking, playing, pressing buttons, figuring out how to achieve a certain look, certain feel, and... Um, even if there's a there's a paying job on the line, it's like your your brain just needs to satisfy this one thing before you carry yeah, on. And it's, and it's fun. It's it's oh, yeah. good fun pushing yourself. It's Especially good fun. Especially when you crack it, though, stuff. that's the best. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Looking at more like from a business point of view now, um, I'd yeah. like to know what is the economic climate like in the UK um, and London and surrounds at the moment for creatives. Um, in South Africa here, you know, art schools and colleges are, are pushing out creatives at a super steady rate. And I'm just finding that businesses are actually starting to pull back on, on hiring full-time people. And it's more a freelancer's market. And it's been like that for a good couple of months now, um, where freelancers have a good reign. Companies are staying very small and agile. And I'm actually very interested to know um, from from your perspective, what's it like over there? Uh, that's a tricky one to answer. Um, okay. I think there's definitely a trend towards more people going freelance. Okay. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. I think maybe the, the climate has changed a little bit to allow that. Um, but also there's a kind of democratization of tools. So you don't need tens of thousands to set up. Yeah. Uh, you can get a, a, a good workstation, whether it's Mac or PC, um, for you know a few thousand. And then software, although I don't agree with the subscription-based way of paying for your software because you can never own it. Yeah. Um, it's never a, it's never an asset that kind of is yours, which I I kind of dislike. Um, mm. It does mean that you can budget yourself much more easily and. You know, you, you start adding up the cost of all the software. And again, this is where having all of the software like I tend to do uh, could, could become very expensive. Uh, luckily, I've been around long enough to, you know, I'm a, a beta tester for a few firms and that helps. Uh, but anyway, back to the back to the topic. So you, you can you can set up for a lot less initial kind of capital investment than that's you would true. have done 10 years ago. Um, so that's made it easier, uh, I think. There are some, and I'm not talking about creative firms, there are some big firms that have, uh, they still like to have their in-house marketing teams. Yep. So there are always kind of creative jobs within bigger companies if you want to do it that way. But like you said, there's also a lot of kind of studio work where they'll hire in outside talent for a particular job. Yep. Um, when you come to kind of film and, and visual effects, this is more the case. 
And of course, London's the home of so many massive studios, like frame stores and and the like, that they go through a a massive turnover uh, and people travel for the work. So, you know, you have artists that will spend three months in London Mm. and then they'll be in L.A. for six months and then they'll go to New Zealand for a job and they go where the work is. Um, So I guess Hollywood has a bit to blame, depending on where they're actually producing films at the time. yeah, so I think there's a, an ability there for you to work in whatever way sees fit, which could only be a good thing, uh, as long as the companies that you work for are willing to pay the yeah. appropriate price and look after their staff. And there are huge debates going on and have been for the last few years about this, which I, I won't get involved in Um but just that sparks something else in me. I go to quite a lot of conferences and shows, uh, and sometimes I'm there as a member of the press, sometimes I'm a speaker. Uh, but as a member of the press, I often go and talk to the recruitment people because okay. um, all these shows like FMX or, or wherever you are, they always have a, a room dedicated to giving people jobs or yeah. at least looking at portfolios and talking like about prospects. Talent Mining 101. Yeah, exactly. And what I've found over the last maybe four or five years is that some of the big visual effects studios are finding it quite difficult to find talent with the right skill set because the pace of development of technology in the film industry is so so rapid that people doing if you were to start a degree in animation and visual effects or computer science this september by the time you get out, you all have been learning the same curriculum, but the film industry will have moved on. The technology will have moved on so fast yeah. that to, to find a, a specialist job, which is what you might want, it would be quite difficult. And I think that is partly what's driving the, the kind of migration of artists following work is that it's hard for the new people, the new guys to really kind of step into a, a big studio and have the the right skill set straight away. There's mm. a, a lot of in-house training that has to be done, getting graduates up to speed. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know exactly what the solution to this is yet. I have a lot of conversations about it. Um, there's got to be one. Um, so we'll, we'll see over the next few years how that pans out, but that's a, a, a big problem for the studios. Uh, and I guess it's probably a bit of a problem for some of the artists that think they're going to walk into MPC and land a great yeah. visual effects job. Well, I think that colleges and a lot of art schools, you know, they, I think they, pro- they over promise quite a bit just in terms of, you know, come study here and land a job anywhere in the world kind of thing. And then, as you said, by the time they're out, if, if they're not really being very particular about their curriculum and, and advancing it and just like maneuvering it as they go along. Guys are going to get out after two, three years and being in an art school. And you know what I mean? They're going to need to work for the next two, three years just to, just to get up to speed. Yes. That, the, the flip side of that court. Yeah, it is very tricky. Um, but there is a, a flip side to it, which is if you do go to school to learn this stuff, um, then you're going to be going with a group of like-minded people with similar interests and they're going to be like your peer group for Mm -hmm. your whole career and you're going to build friendships and alliances that can last the rest of your life. So it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah. Now, we spoke a little bit about London being such a a central hub. Um, I know that you're about 160 k's out of London being in Warminster. 
does that affect you? Because, you know, a lot of people see London surrounds pretty much the whole UK as, as being that, that hub for creatives. Does that affect you in terms of clientele being locally, sorry, being mostly local or international? No, not at all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you live these days. Um, there are some clients that want you to either come in for a meeting um, yeah. or, you know, and there'll be occasional jobs where they want you to go and work in their studios for a bit. But that's becoming, well, it's, yeah, there are a few of those jobs mm. these days. It doesn't work that much. Um, and, you know, you're in South Africa and we're having this call now. Yeah. We could easily be, very easily have been discussing a job. And we can do screen sharing, you know, and if you had a problem, I could look at your screen and say, oh, you click this button, click that button. I can even take over your screen and yeah. show you how to do it, uh, depending on your learning style. So communication is what those meetings are all about. It doesn't matter where you are these days. Okay, cool. um, not all employers are going to see it that way. Oh, They're yeah, going 100%. to have I think some control. people just feel that you have to be in the same room for me to shout at you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they're the kind of people that are going to shout at you, then you don't want to work for them anyway. Yeah, especially when they're breathing over your neck and saying, just move that couple of pixels to the left quickly, I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that's just ignorance. Yeah, it's, uh, it's true. They just don't I mean, know what they're after. Like you said, if you're owning your own studio, it just gives you the power of to, to choose the, the kind of clientele that you want as well. You're not really um, the number two, three, four in the business that doesn't really get a say on it. And then, you know, you having to slog away doing stuff that you don't really enjoy. We're going back to the, the happiness thing now. Yeah. Is it, uh, uh, are you able to share with us any current projects that you're working on at the moment? Um, well, I can talk about some of the, 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 the kind of side projects that I'm doing, some of the, the passive stuff oh, that cool. I'm working on. Um, so I'm working on a new materials pack which is a, a much more, uh, so the last one I did with the Pixel Lab, so with Joran, I'm sure you know him, yep. uh, was completely procedural. And um, it was it's a massive hit. It's done really well. People really seem to love it. Oh, great. Because you don't have, and this is a problem for any app, but you don't have those Cinema 4D pop-ups that say, oh, this texture file's missing. Um, when it is on your system, it just, you need to set things up so it knows where to look. Um, but if you go completely procedural, you never have any of those worries. Yeah, um, and it, it also, also makes it customizable at the end of the day that, you know, you can extend it out far Yeah, more. yeah, absolutely. There's that, and also um, it, com well, it massively reduces your machines overhead use so you don't need to store loads of texture files in ram yeah um, which is becoming less of an issue as you know gpus now can have 8 12 gig on, of, of ram on them it's mm. not such an issue um but we're working at the moment on a uh, a, a, a big photorealistic pack uh, which is kind of the complete opposite so it's uh, going to be very very detailed and very focused uh, we haven't quite decided on the the final format for it yet, but that's uh, what we're what we're doing at the moment. Um, so I've been spending the last few weeks just toying and experimenting and outtaking, you know, reference photos. And again, I, my background as a photographer helps hugely oh, in that. Yeah, and like you said, especially when it comes to lighting and things like that, you know, a reference photo is only as good as the the quality of it. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, it's um, it also means that you're a little bit in the hands of the elements. Yeah. So if you want to go and find some really nice brick textures to, to work on, you can't if it's rainy or, or even if it's too sunny. You just can't do it. That's true. Uh, 
Uh, so there's that. I'm working on a a film project at the moment. Well, two in fact. Um, one is for a client, uh, which will be out hopefully the end of next week. I should have tied that up. Um, and it's uh, just a promo video. It's kind of telling somebody's story. Uh, she runs a, a a growing company who wants to kind of spread the word a bit. So there's that one. Um, I've also got my kind of passion project, which is always on the back burner. Uh, it's always kind of there in my mind which is a, a, well, it's a short film which uh, can, can expand in other ways uh, depending on what I choose to do with it. Um, so look out for that because I'll, I'll be starting to share bits and pieces of that fairly soon. Um, I've been shooting background plates and oh, awesome. doing visual effects testing and stuff recently. So this year is the, the year. It's called Henry, by the way, just oh, so. Yeah, cool. yeah I won't say any more about it now. But um, yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to let the cat out the bag too soon. No, no, exactly. But it's it's so tricky because, you know, you can even just hear the, the excitement and the passion in your voice. And it's like, well, I really want to tell you, but just just wait. Just wait. It's going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. So that's, that's what it. you're working on at the moment. As a business with Prior Studios, what are you looking to focus on for 2017 as well? Okay, so in my late 20s, I studied you know from home just distance learning um i've always played a, a good handful of instruments um, and i've always been into just like writing music and i generally write if i'm doing a short film or promo piece of video i'll write my own music for it and i'll produce it in-house oh, wow. um so i decided to train up and do a, a distance learning degree in sound production oh, um, so this year um well last year in fact i started working um more on the audio um, and I hired in a, a someone who I've worked with many times over the years who is now part of the studio uh, who's called Guy yeah. uh, Guy Redman uh, not related spelled differently but the same surname <laughs> and um, he is a producer and a music teacher so I want to kind of encapsulate more of the the post process into yeah. the studio so that's one direction that we're going to do that and um yeah, I think that's the big push for, for this year. More visual effects work. And I'll always do the show, you know, the show circuit. I'll always be at the festivals and mm. uh, I'll speak as, at them as, as often as anybody wants me to. Um, or they think I've got anything to say. And yeah, um, Henry, the, the side projects, all that stuff. Again, lots of variety. That's very cool. This variety will never, ever... Never be a bad thing at all, I think. No, I, I, yeah, that's like I said right at the start. It's it, what, what makes me excited about getting into the studio every day. It's, the, it's always going to be, it's always related to the field, but it's always something a little bit different. In terms about, well, sorry, talking about going into the studio, studio every day, um, can you take us through a, a typical day, um, just in terms of your working hours, what time you get up and... More importantly, what time you go to sleep? <laughs> um, uh, I think my body wants me to be a night owl. I, I have generally historically been more creative or more kind of inspired by ideas in the late afternoon to yeah. early hours of the morning. Um, but, you know, you also have to kind of pay attention to your family. And like Obviously, I say, yeah. I've got a three-year-old daughter, so she'll wake me up any time between six and seven a.m um and then i generally get her ready in the morning spend a bit of time with her 
and um, get her off to school. That's cool. Um, and then I'll leave for the studio, and I'm generally here by quarter to nine, nine o'clock. Okay. Um, but like I say, sometimes I might want to do something different. Yeah. I might want to do something completely different, so I'll go and do that. Um, and I'll be here until probably about six. So okay. you, know, you hear all these horror stories of people sitting and working for 14, 16 or more hours a day. Mm. And I, I, I don't think that's healthy. Um, I'm, of course, there are times when you have to do it. Deadlines yeah. come up or that's you've true. hit a technical issue and you, you have to do that. And that's unavoidable occasionally, but that shouldn't be the norm. The norm should be to do eight hours, I reckon, and then go off and do something fun. Get out in the fresh air. Don't yes. sit looking computer because people burn out i've seen so many people that want to do that and they they just burn out after a few years sometimes and and it'll happen at such a quick rate when you do burn out that you just look back and you're like how the heck did i get here you know yeah yeah it can make you ill And, and i think that's why so i've i've been known for doing my video tutorials for a good few years now um and i go through waves so i mean i love doing them but I will only do them when time allows. Okay. Uh, by that, I don't mean, you know, I could skip going for dinner or going for a, a, a bike ride in the woods or whatever. I can do a video instead. But no, actually, I don't want to be sitting in front yeah. of the computer um, working if it's going to be to the detriment of my, my health and my family, basically. Um, so there are waves of tutorials. And I've just started a new wave because I've got, a, a few ideas stored away that I want to do, um, which I think would be quite fun and interesting to, to share with people. So that will happen. And I know February and March are generally a quieter time of year on the client work. So it, it's going to allow me to do that um, and, and still have time to do all the things I want to do outside of work. Awesome, man. Sounds really cool. In terms of your collaborations, I mean, you You've been in the industry for a long time. You, you're very, very well connected. Um, you know, the making look great stuff, motion works, done some stuff with Grayscale Gorilla, with, with yep. Joran Kendall. Um, are there any collaborations this year we can look out for? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, definitely more with the Pixel Lab. Yeah. Like I've already mentioned, um, there is uh, another making look great in production oh, right cool. now. Um, I've started that i won't say anything about it until you know no, john cool. looks at it and says oh no. <laughs> yeah gotta get the go ahead uh, there yeah exactly uh, but yeah there will there will definitely be more training uh, definitely more of the free tutorials from me awesome um i think and again this is back to kind of passive income and supporting the community yeah. um patreon is a, a really good thing um and i probably don't talk about it enough uh I, and that's because I think maybe as a brand, it's become something it didn't really mean to be. Oh, really? Um, well, no, it's great. It's fantastic. And I love the whole ethos behind it. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, if people like my videos, they're all there for free um, on YouTube or Vimeo. You can go and you can look at any of my tutorials. Um, but Patreon allows you to ask people to support you in doing that because... You know, it takes time out of your day and yeah, you know, according I mean, even to do yeah. one tutorial properly i mean there's there's a big difference between doing like a very poor very quick get it out kind of tutorial as opposed to doing something with a bit of production value and it's, it's a lot of time which i don't think a lot of people realize no i agree they think you just sit there with a cup of coffee and <laughs> you know 
board, record what you're doing, and then post it straight up. <laughs> uh, but, you know, someone's got to pay for that screen. Someone's yeah. got to pay for a, a decent enough microphone. Because in the early days, I had an awful microphone, and people used to complain. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know, people worst. want the videos. Like, this is a free thing from my heart, and you're just bitching about it. Uh, well, I'd see, I didn't mind that so much, but it <laughs> made me realize that if I'm going to give something out yeah. that people want and people appreciate it they may as well make it enjoyable for them rather than painful (laughs) and uh, the early ones were bad they were they were appalling sound quality was rough Uh, the video the 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 screen capture wasn't great but now i think they all sound consistent and of a reasonable quality Uh, and you know someone's got to pay for it well i have to pay for it um and i would never ask anyone to have to pay for any of those videos but I think it's really good to have the option for people to say, you know what? I got a load out of that. Here's enough to buy yourself a cup of coffee. And that's what Patreon's really good for. Really cool, man. Um, You know, you've spoken about doing a lot of tutorials and articles and all those kind of things. Are there tutorials and training that you like to consume? I'll watch anything and everything uh it's the best way of learning like i said i get a bit fixated on a on a topic so i will read and watch everything i can about it until it's all sunk in and 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 i know it back to front that's generally how my brain works um so if there's a a topic that pops up and uh, i think oh that could be interesting youtube gets watched endlessly (laughs) it's (laughs) down the uh, rabbit hole until like you ask yourself the question how how did i get here yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um, so um, i do watch that but no that's cool um in terms of you know the industry we're in it's, it's like you said technology is changing at a rapid rapid pace um is there any part of technology that you're super interested in at the moment whether it be vr or new techniques in 3d or whatever the case may be uh that's an interesting one last year was a big year for vr for me as well as for the vr as industry as a whole um i so i use unity and unreal a fair bit uh, so it was particularly pertinent for my work. Yes. Uh, at FMX last year, I was uh, helping out with uh, the cut and paste guys running a VR event for the whole whole show. Okay. Uh, where I, w- I was basically technical help for contestants to come in and create a world in VR. Um, uh, we were using the the, the HTC Vive uh, yes. uh, and and Unreal to do it, but. I think there are many possibilities. So now you can actually create your 3D inside of VR. So you're not creating and VR is the delivery mechanism. It's now the way you build. So you can dive in to your 3D package using your goggles and controllers. Mm. And uh, and Unreal works brilliantly like that. It's basically in VR, it's like holding an iPad. So one controller will be like an iPad in one hand and you use the other hand to make selections and then you can place your objects and shape everything and add your textures all within that world. So you can effectively walk around an object and see it from different views, which for an interactive experience which a game is yeah uh, is so powerful and so useful uh, it really helps because at the end of the day it doesn't matter what you're doing motion graphics a yeah. graphic novel it could be a, a game it could be a film it's all about telling a story and the 
the way we use our tools to kind of enhance and support those stories is, is vital to what we do. And VR is just the next step. Right. So in the 90s, it didn't work because the technology wasn't good enough. Now yes. it is. I can see that growing rapidly. And um, we'll, I, I'm definitely going to be doing more and more of it. I'm sure there's going to be more projects coming this year yeah. um, for us. Um, and the other part is 3D printing, which I'm still on the fence with. Uh, I love it. Um, I've had a good number of 3D printers in the studio, partly for myself and partly for review. Yeah. Uh, and I think 3D printing is brilliant for 3D artists uh, and for freelancers who want to be able to show clients something that they can hold. Yeah, tangible. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and for objects and, and things that are great, even for architects, I think it's really good. If you can just print something rather than making a cardboard mock-up, mm. uh, it's going to be more accurate. It's going to be a bit more resilient. You can throw it in a box and send it to someone, which you can't really do any other way. Um, but I'm not sure that the traction will hold for people at home having 3D printers. Um yeah, I think that's a good that's a, like a good five to ten years away. Even as fast as it's developing, it needs to get I, to a much, uh, much higher standard. Sure I, I think that you know if, if people are going to spend the money, I, I don't think the 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 end results are bad. I think they're perfectly acceptable yeah. and useful, and you can print in metals and all sorts of things now. But what what I don't see is people's ability. Right, so let's take the analogy of a photo. Everyone knows how to use a photo, uh, how to use a camera. You can click a button, you get a picture, you print that on a piece of paper, and you've got that photo to keep forever. You can hang it on the wall, mm. send it to your nan. 3D printing is completely different because the amount of people that know how to model something in 3D yeah. is so small. It's such a niche market that those people, great, they can make whatever they want and print it out. Mm. Joe Bloggs, the man on the street, he's not. He hasn't got that knowledge. Yeah, sure, he can go to Shapeways and he can download a really bad copy of a lightsaber or something, or whatever it might be, a little model of a frog or a, a phone cover. Um, but are you going to spend hundreds or thousands on a printer to do that? No, because you can buy one on eBay for a fiver. Yeah. Um, uh, so what I see happening is it being more of kind of a, um, a boutique vendor, even like the, the big catalog shops. I don't know if you have Argos where you are, but here you have Argos where you go in, you look through a thousand pages of catalog and they go to the warehouse out the back and bring it to you. Okay. I think that's probably got more of a future for 3D printing. So I think that the, the big retailers, rather than having a huge warehouse, will have a small warehouse and a few very good 3D printers where you go in, you say, I want one of those and I want it made out of this material in that color. And then you come back an hour later and it's done. I think that's probably the future of commercial 3D printing, well, uh, which is a little bit like kind of like rapid prototyping that companies yeah. use anyway. It's just a, a more commercially based version of it. I think once they actually do come up with a sustainable commercial model and the right applications to support it, new means will start coming out. You know what I mean? And stupid examples, but um, you know, a, a child can make a coffee mug instead of like sculpting one in a pot pottery class and then literally print it out at home for their, their mom or dad or whatever the case may be. And, you know, that, that's a very simplistic thing, but I think that once it starts to become more consumer-facing, people will find ways of using it. When something like, 
uh, Amazon Echo came out or uh, Google Home, for instance, I think a lot of people were like, well, what the heck do we do with this thing besides, you know, ask it really random questions? Yeah. And then yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite possible. Smart Home started coming up and, you know, like it just starts to facilitate itself. So it's going to be very interesting to see over the next decade what exactly happens with 3D printing. But just going back to uh, the VR stuff, what's really interesting for me, and I think it's one of the main drivers of the success of VR is the immediate feedback. You know, we, we all grew up in a, in a time where um, to get your renders or to get your your final results of whatever you were creating was a tedious, long process. Now it's literally split seconds and you're creating something live in front of you and you can get that immediate feedback of how it's looking. You can tweak it and shape it and really refine it to a stage where it would have taken you 10 times as long in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's uh, the results still aren't comparable. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah, you're right. It's a, a very, uh, it's a, a very immediate experience yeah. um, being in VR. In VR, uh, and I like the fact that people directing a VR experience, uh, allowing, uh, they're kind of controlling where where the viewer looks and that was really important to vr being yeah. a success because again it comes back to story uh, you can't direct a viewing experience exactly. uh where people are going to look in the wrong place because yeah. they will miss something important and the narrative doesn't get driven forward but using keys and you know like key areas and audio um, cleverly means that you can sound is a massive component of it Oh, it, it's more important than the visuals. Yeah. Uh, but, but I see that together. Know, that's also linked with 3D and motion graphics and things like that. If your audio has to be on point. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good audio will always out uh, good video. Uh, absolutely. You can have some slightly dodgy visuals. As long as it sounds good, yeah. it, will, it will pass. Uh, but the other way around, no, not a chance. <laughs> We're coming up to an hour now. Um, I would, could obviously chat to you all day. I just think that you are a wealth of information and knowledge. Um, but the one thing I'm doing with the guests on the show is I'm acknowledging them for, for what I feel that they're great for. And I'd just like to take a moment to acknowledge you for your consistency in knowledge sharing and really just growing the design community at large. Um, I think that the time that has been spent has been sometimes thankless hours and I'd just like to acknowledge you for all of the hard work and effort that you put into it, man. Well, that's very kind. I Thanks aren't needed, but I uh, I do appreciate it. It's um, I, I do it because I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, I don't see it as a, as a job. Uh, me putting a video out there, um, I hope will help somebody either go, oh, that's an interesting idea, or I hadn't yeah. thought of that. Um, but, you know, I, I get thanks. Um, people do email me and say, you know what, that really helped. Awesome. Um, uh, or they'll say, oh, a have a look way. at this that I made which is, you know, excellent in itself. But yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that a lot. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Um, and obviously, I'm going to link up a lot of your um, your sites and links in the show notes. But where best can people get hold of you, Rob? Uh, t Twitter's probably the best place. So I am Pariah Rob on Twitter. Um, I, I have an Instagram feed. So if you want to see a little bit more of stuff that I do, which isn't necessarily studio based. So, you know, I, I might post a, you know, some guitars that I'm building awesome. or you know, a, a model. I've, I do a lot of miniature painting. I, I was, I used to be a big Warhammer fan. Yes, and that's right. 
having worked at Games Workshop Studio, um, that's kind of always stayed in my blood. So I do a little bit of that as well. I've actually uh, been seeing some, some very recent posts with, with some paintings on them as well from your feed. Yeah. Yeah, I still do. I still do it now and then. Um, it's a, just another way to indulge my creative needs um, without staring at a screen. It, I think out of a lot of the, the different creative things, it's it must be one of the most therapeutic. Um, just oh, to literally really sit is. there and three D sculpting is, is similar like that for me. But I just just see it as being like this place where the world just disappears and you can just spend hours just with with this character in your hand. Yeah. Oh, well, and that uh, just a quick throwback to a previous part of the conversation, something that I'll be doing this year is combining my ZBrush work with my painting work. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be working on a, a range of um, miniature busts for figure painters. Oh, wow. That's very, very early days. Yeah, I've done one so far, um, which I've sent out to a couple of people to paint up and see what they think of it. Um, oh, but cool. all that, we'll see what happens over the next two or three months. Awesome, man. I wish you all the best of luck with that. Thank you very much. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know that it's Saturday afternoon and you're in the studio. And, you know, as I said, we we had a bit of schedule conflicts, but we made the time. And, yeah, man, I just can't thank you enough. And I wish you all the best for 2017. Yeah, thank you. Likewise. And, yeah, the, the weather wasn't against us today. so <laughs> Yeah, sorry about all that. No, 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 well, if you had control of it, fair enough. But <laughs> I don't think anyone did. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Well, thanks cool. so much, thanks very much. Really appreciate it, man. Cheers. Cool. Ciao. That is episode two with Rob Redman. Thanks again to Rob for being part of the show. And thank you, the valued listener. Thank you for your attention and your time over this last hour. And feedback goes a long way. So let us know what you thought of the show, whether it's good or bad. I really want to tailor the content as much as I can and tailor the show towards best serving you. I hope that you'll have the best week possible. Cheers for now.